Fire Pit Creative Group presents Aftermath, Episode 8, The Broken Night. Between 2057 and 2069, the people of Earth faced many trials. Scarcity of resources, plagues, poverty, famine, and despair. The superpowers of the Earth fell into factions, each armed with its own doomsday arsenal. Diplomacy failed, and civilization came to an end. Not with a whimper, but with a bang. General Benjamin Castro, the Israeli government's special envoy to the United Nations, was relocated from the UN headquarters in New York City to an underground base. During transport, General Castro was knocked unconscious and preserved in cryostasis. The general awoke 43 years later, in a subterranean society built by survivors of the United Nations. Revived by the Phoenix Project, General Castro was introduced to Phoenix law enforcement officer Major Leonard McGillicuddy and Professor John Bath. If they could work together, Castro, Cuddy, and Bath would lead the first expedition to the Earth's surface. Aided by Project Administrator Danielle Devenu, Chief Surgeon Miro Ganaya, and Engineer Donna Chang, their mission was to determine what life still existed on the world above and if the survivors in the underground Phoenix Project could return. In the underground Phoenix Project, John Bath's roommate, Mike Helms, found his friend walking down a corridor. John! John! Wait up! Bath turned. Mike? He motioned to the other man. I need to talk to you. Here. Bath pointed down a narrow but unoccupied corridor. Walk with me. What's going on? Mike caught his breath. It's about Mindy. She's... John's roommate paused. He looked down, as if ashamed. Oh, come on, Mike. Bath raised his voice slightly. Realizing Mike's longtime girlfriend was pregnant, the doctor's dulled senses came alive. What are you going to do? I thought you and Mindy, you know, used protection. Mike shrugged. I'm not A1, John. I can't afford that. And Mindy's family comes from C-Block. We're not allowed to have children. The obvious difference in Bath's and Helm's statuses hung in the air between them. While both were born in the Phoenix Project, Dr. Bath was a descendant of the project's founders. John was difficult, antisocial, but he was a proud and respected academic. Helm's parents were machine part repairers. Their son was a pest control technician. Work was rationed for Mike's girlfriend, Mindy. When she was allowed to work, she worked in housekeeping for members of the Phoenix administration. I thought, you know, since you were involved in this new mission or whatever, Bath exhaled deeply, once again suggesting to his lifelong friend that the topic was off limits. I'm not supposed to talk about that. Besides, I've been grounded, at least temporarily. I screwed up. I'm sorry, Mike said, 
as if to suggest, on some level, he understood how Bath felt. If there was one thing Mike Helms knew about, it was that work brought with it a sense of purpose, belonging. I just thought maybe you could talk to the council. John shook his head. Not likely. You should talk to your supervisor, Mike. I can't get involved. Mike nodded, defeated. Then he spoke with a sense of urgency Bath rarely saw from his friend. My supervisor's just going to tell me we have to terminate. They'll put me in holding. Mindy will be moved out of our block. She'll be put in assembly. She's freaking out. See, Bath said, this is exactly what I'm always talking about. It should be your choice. Yours and Mindy's, not theirs. Everything's rationed. Food, entertainment, even sex. The council can't make a decision without the central processor. They won't say it but I think we're running out of resources. John glanced around, looking for the pinhole cameras and the corners of the carbon fiber corridor. He thought of his father risking his life to help underclass citizens, people like Mike and Mindy. Mike, do you think... Do you ever think about finding the exterior hatch? Helms took a step away from Bath. We're not supposed to talk about that. Bath closed the distance between them. Oh yeah, because the council is always listening, right? We'll let them listen. Shh! Helms pushed his palms down, signaling his roommate to lower his voice. He had followed John's train of thought on this subject before. John! Helms hesitated, unsure if he wanted to finally tell Bath what he really thought. I don't even think there is a hatch. Bath scoffed and moved closer, determined. You know what I think, Mike? Bath braced his roommate. His tone was low, but defiant, angry. I think there is. I think my father found it. I think he left us. That's why nobody says anything. If we all... Don't start that again, John. Look. Mike gestured to the cluster of Phoenix Law Division officers coming from the opposite corridor. Fine. Bath moved away from Helms. I gotta go anyway. I've got work to do. I'll... Damn it, Mike. I'll figure something out. I'll see what I can do. For a fleeting moment, the thought of helping Mike and Mindy, defying the Shadow Council and its administrators, made Dr. John Bath feel alive. It was the same thrill he got solving some philosophical or linguistic problem. The same thrill he got exploring the surface with General Castro and Major McGillicuddy. Thanks, John. Thanks. I owe you. John patted his friend's shoulder and turned away. Just tell Mindy it'll be alright. I'll see you soon. Truthfully, John never liked Mindy much. She was morbidly obese, dull, and lazy. He didn't understand what Mike saw in her, but that didn't make him uncaring, unfeeling. He assumed that on some level, Mike was a better person than he was. Mike loved Mindy despite her faults, and she did the same for him. Dr. Bath had never known that kind of real affection. He protected himself from longing, vulnerability. That didn't stop him from understanding what the Shadow Council and the Elite had to gain from exploring the surface. He wasn't working for them. He was working for those who had the most to lose. He wanted to explore the surface to find something better. A better way of life for people like Mike and Mindy, and those marginalized in the lower decks.
Donna Chang and Miro Ganaya were waiting intently when Danielle Devenu entered the laboratory. Well, Danielle? Chang asked, an air of impatience in her tone. What's the word? Dr. Ganaya glared at the engineer. Don't be so smug, Donna. That's all right, Devenu replied. She showed no sign she felt any insult. You got your wish, Chang. I spoke to the council and they consulted the central processor. You've been cleared to transmit to the surface. Ganaya glanced up at the digital clock hanging at an angle over Chang's equipment. We still have a limited amount of time before degradation. General Castro and Major McGillicuddy will be yanked out in less than four hours. Then you have four hours for your reconnaissance, Donna. Devenu looked at Chang, a serious expression on her face. The engineer crossed her arms in front of her. That may not be enough time. Devenu shook her head. I'm not risking letting you wander around alone. You need the Major and the General for support. You don't know... Fine, Chang interrupted the administrator. I've done all the preliminary calculations. Of course you have, Ganaya grumbled. Chang stood. She crossed the laboratory over to the empty chamber previously used by Dr. Bath. Mural, Chang said, as she stroked brushed steel, no preparation is necessary. I can transmit using the module vacated by Dr. Bath. Ganaya stood. She pointed to the wall of stacked machines, power cables, and monitors. Donna, I don't know how to handle all the equipment. Only the vitals, and... Chang interrupted confidently. Too confidently. It's calibrated. Everything is automated to operate at the same levels. Pitch, phase, and transmission volume, as that of General Castro and the Major. Devenu rounded the angular table in the center of the lab. Help her, she said to Meryl, then turned to Chang. As soon as you figured out the status of the simulacrum in the shed and what happened to Dr. Bath's robot body, you're to return. Is that understood, Chang? The engineer did not look at the others. Donna, Devenu insisted, is that understood? Chang nodded slowly, reluctantly. Yes. Yes, of course. Devenu turned back to Dr. Ganaya. What about Dr. Bath? Ganaya took a deep breath. He was knocked out on the island, in the green stream. Resting him away in the process had some temporary side effects, but he'll be all right. Good. Devenu nodded, showing little sign of concern. Then when he's ready to go back in, Ganaya reached out, touched Bath's transference coffin. He's... hesitant, Danielle. Ganaya recalled her earlier conversation with Dr. Bath. As if taking her into his confidence, Bath spoke openly about his family, their role in founding the Phoenix Project. He described his concerns about the Shadow Council and its ability to make decisions. In return, Muriel admitted she thought Chang had little faith in Bath, General Castro, and Major McGillicuddy. Devenu turned from the doctor and engineer. I don't care, she said, too forcefully. The Council wants Dr. Bath and the others need him. He's the only multidisciplinary scientist and linguist in the Phoenix Project. Without him... As if to cut off her superior, Chang motioned to Ganaya. Doctor, if you will please, I am ready.
As Cuddy returned from his recon, General Castro noticed Dr. Bass' damaged simulacrum writhing on the floor nearby. Major, over here! Major McGillicuddy rushed to where the general kneeled over Bath's robot body. What is it? He just started convulsing. Then he's alive, Cuddy said. I don't know. Castro's hands hovered behind the robot's damaged head. Slowly, the pseudo-skin over Bath's simulacrum moved. The doctor's pale skin tone turned pearlescent. The molded form of Bath's male robot body transformed returning to its original genderless shape. The robot's lips moved. She, it spoke, the audible sound slightly out of sync with its lips. Castro leaned over, trying to hear through the distortion. What? She is alive, gentlemen, the robot spoke. Bath? Cuddy asked, raising his weapon. It's me, the robot replied. Donna Chang. I've co-opted this simulacrum to assess the damage and effect repairs. Chang? Cuddy stepped back. What happened to Dr. Bath? Castro helped to lift the simulacrum. Is he? He's fine. As best we can tell, when he was concussed, there was hyperactivity in his neurological, cardiological, and endocrine systems. A spike in all of his vitals. Dr. Ganaya was able to stabilize him with a... So there was no residual damage to Bath? Castro interrupted. He was more interested in the doctor's condition than Chang's jargon. He's resting, Chang said. In the meantime, I would like you gentlemen to show me where the shed is that you found your bodies. Quickly, though. We only have so much time before we have to return to the lab. Right, Kasher readily agreed. This is so weird, Cuddy said, as he examined the back of the genderless robot. Castro circled the simulacrum Chang now controlled. First, you'll want to... I guess look at this. The expressionless face of the robot didn't move. We thought it was battery acid, Castro continued. Some kind of leak. Maybe plasma. As Chang's simulacrum moved slowly, liquid sputtered from the back of the machine's head. Cuddy moved closer, peering at how the graphene pseudoskin articulated around the damaged area, like a webbed bandage covering a wound. Hmm. Yes. Chang touched the back of her robot's head. Of course. That would explain why I hear a high-pitched ringing, and why there's a delay in the optical relay. Can you fix it? Cuddy asked. I'm sure. Chang looked down at the robot's fingers, covered in a viscous pinkish-brown ooze, like antifreeze. I'll need instruments. Power. Castro turned towards the slanted archway leading away from the Statue of Liberty's visitor center. Right this way. Cuddy led the way out of the building at the base of the statue, and across the overgrown pathway. This is where we came out. He pointed into some brush towards a sealed bunker where he, the general, and Dr. Bath had emerged just a few hours earlier. There's a long stairway and a corridor leading back to the workshop. General Castro followed behind Major McGillicuddy and Chang. He watched to their left and right and behind them. Twice he had to stop as Chang's body lurched awkwardly, then regained its balance. So, Cuddy spoke to Chang, without looking back. How long do you think all this has been here? Since before, or... The robot's distorted voice replied. All indications suggest this shelter and technology was constructed well before the explosions that destroyed New York City. Is that what you're asking, Major? 
Uh, yeah. I guess. Cuddy threw back the heavy door that stood between them and the underground lab where the simulacrum first came to life. He waited as Chang and Castro stepped through. Now Castro led the way, down the long tunnel back to the lab. He paused so Cuddy could stabilize Chang. There's no chance the survivors constructed this, Chang explained when they reached the laboratory. For the most part, the tech resembles that which we salvaged in the Phoenix Project. With few exceptions, the two go hand in hand. Cuddy took a defensive position near the entranceway, while Castro escorted Chang around the lab. He pointed at the generator against one of the walls. It looked like an enlarged radiator. You think this was built with the intent for a mission similar to the one we're on? Chang tried to nod, but the simulacrum lurched, without a doubt. However, the robot stumbled, its head tilted back. More fluid passed through the graphene webbing onto the floor. I can't say for certain this was the only location to which we could transmit, Chang said. Run that by me again, Castro said, leaning closer to the other robot. It's possible. If this was designed as a shelter specifically for the simulacrum and not their human counterparts, there may be other vaults, other workshops like this littered about the planet. What's more, there's no discernible markings. Cuddy moved closer into the center of the laboratory. Wait. What you're saying is, this isn't necessarily an American installation? That this might have been constructed by the Russians or, or the Chinese and just stashed here? That's correct. If Eastern Europe or China were laid to waste, select members of their population may be dwelling underground as we speak. Castro looked concerned. Just like your Phoenix Project. Of course, Cheng said, they may all be dead, or... Cuddy interrupted. They may be underground somewhere trying to hack this facility. This time, when Chang's simulacrum nodded, there was no mistaking it. This is quite exciting, Chang said as she glanced around the room. Just like Dr. Bath described, there are more robot bodies. These, however, appear to be under construction. Wait, Cuddy said. So we're not sure if this facility was built by our allies? Chang scoffed. More fluid leaked. <laughs> allies. What difference does that make now, Cuddy? After all, the Phoenix Project, as you know as a collective of those who were in New York at the time of the blast. Ambassadors, UN delegates, employees, their offspring. There are no allies, only survivors. Castro stood between Cuddy and Chang. He means, and my apologies, Major, that this installation may have been designed by the very people that aimed those missiles at the eastern seaboard. Chang's robot body stood still, fixed. I suppose, but I don't know if that's likely. After all... Why would they build the facility, destroy New York, and then surface here? That doesn't follow. Maybe they were planning to take over the West, Cuddy said. Now I see why your council was so adamant about discovering what remained here, Castro said. He pointed at the other simulacrum on the walls. Can you use any of this tech? Yes, Chang said, examining the machinery. I think I can. There's a repair utility. If I plug back into the wall unit, I can run the utility, and at the very least force the computer to tell me what's wrong with my, er, Dr. Bass simulacrum. Castro followed Chang around the room. It was obvious she understood the technology better than he or Cuddy did. The clock is ticking, Castro told her. While Chang brought up the computer application and typed something on a keyboard nearby, Cuddy motioned to the general. Can I have a word with you? Castro nodded. 
Cuddy spoke, his voice lowered. If what she's saying is correct, back in the Phoenix Project, in the laboratory, should be able to locate any of these other vaults, any of these shelters. If they exist, just as others may try to hack into this installation, we should be trying to hack into theirs. Castro looked at Cuddy, his eyes moving quickly in his simulacrum's head. If what she's saying is correct, I think we should salvage what we can here and destroy this place. A disturbed expression etched itself into Cuddy's pseudo-skin forehead. Artificial eyes narrowed. Destroy it? Castro nodded. Whether it's the Iranians, the Russians, the Chinese, we cannot give them access to this facility. We sure as hell can't let this place fall into the hands of those... those mutants from the surface. Cuddy and Castro watched Chang swiftly bring up a command prompt, then the application to run the utility. You're right, Cuddy said to Castro, but Chang's not going to go for it, and we still have to report back to Devenu and the council. The general smiled. Let me worry about that. Keep an eye on her, will you? We don't have much time. Yes, sir. Castro approached the engineer's damaged simulacrum. Everything okay? Yes, Chang replied. There. She keyed commands into the console, then pressed buttons on a control panel. Now, if one of you gentlemen will monitor this screen, it will give you instructions on what to do next. I'll be plugged into the cradle here. Follow the instructions swiftly and implicitly. We should have this simulacrum back online in no time. Aftermath, a fire pit creative group production. Based on a story created by Rhett Davis, with characters created by Rhett Davis, Warren Davis, Willem DeGrieff, and Cole Hoopengarner. Original script by Warren Davis, with Cole Hoopengarner. Narrated and produced by Cole Hoopengarner, with music by Warren Davis. Links to the sound effects used for Aftermath can be found in the description section of each episode. Aftermath and its story and characters are copyright 2019 by Fire Pit Creative Group.